Guy Mannering or the Astrologer by Sir Walter Scott, Volume Two, Chapter Eighteen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Volume Two, Chapter Eighteen. It is not madness that I have uttered. Bring me to the test, and I the matter will reword which madness would gamble from. Hamlet. As Mr. Sampson crossed the hall with a bewildered look, Mrs. Allen, the good housekeeper, who, with the reverent attention which is usually rendered to the clergy in Scotland, was on the watch for his return, sallied forth to meet him. "'What's this out now, Mr. Sampson? This is war than ever. You really do yourself some injury with these long fasts. Nothing so hurtful to the stomach, Mr. Sampson.' if ye would but put some peppermint drops in your pocket or let barons cut ye a sandwich avoid thee quoth the dominie his mind running still upon his interview with meg merrilies and making for the dinner parlour now ye needna gang in there the cloth's been removed an hour syne but just step into my room i have a nice steak that the cook will do in a moment exorcisote said sampson that is i have dined dined it's impossible what can you dined we you that gangs out near gate we're beelzebub i believe said the minister now then he's bewitched for certain said the housekeeper letting go her hold he's bewitched or he's daft and anyway the colonel mun just guide him his ain gate Why's me hech sirs it's a sair thing to see learning bring folk to this and with this compassionate ejaculation she retreated into her own premises. The object of her commiseration had, by this time, entered the dining parlour, where his appearance gave great surprise. He was mud up to the shoulders, and the natural paleness of his hue was twice as cadaverous as usual, through terror, fatigue, and perturbation of mind. "'What on earth is the meaning of this, Mr. Sampson?' said Mannering, who had observed Miss Bertram looking much alarmed for her simple but attached friend exorcizo said the dominie how sir replied the astonished colonel i crave pardon honourable sir but my wits are gone a wool gathering i think pray mr sampson collect yourself and let me know the meaning of all this sampson was about to reply but finding his latin formula of exorcism still came most readily to his tongue he prudently desisted from the attempt and put the scrap of paper which he had received from the gypsy into mannering's hand who broke the seal and read it with surprise. This seems to be some jest, he said, and a very dull one. It came from no jest in person, said Mr. Sampson. From whom then did it come, demanded Mannering. The Domini, who often displayed some delicacy of recollection in cases where Miss Bertram had an interest, remembered the painful circumstance connected with Meg Merrilies, looked at the young ladies, and remained silent. "'We will join you at the tea-table in an instant, Julia,' said the Colonel. "'I see that Mr. Sampson wishes to speak to me alone, and now they are gone. "'What in heaven's name, Mr. Sampson, is the meaning of all this?' "'It may be a message from heaven,' said the Dominie, "'but it came by Beelzebub's postmistress. "'It was that witch, Meg Merrilies, who should have been burned with a tar-barrel twenty years since "'for a harlot, thief, witch, and gypsy.' "'Are you sure it was she?' said the colonel with great interest sure honoured sir of a truth she is one not to be forgotten the like of meg merrilies is not to be seen in any land 
The colonel paced the room rapidly, cogitating with himself. To send out to apprehend her, but it is too distant to send to Macmorlan, and Sir Robert Hazelwood is a pompous coxcomb. Besides, the chance of not finding her upon the spot, or that humour of silence that seized her before, may again return. No, I will not. To save being thought a fool, neglect the course she points out. Many of her class set out by being impostors and ending by becoming enthusiasts, or hold a kind of darkling conduct between both lines, unconscious almost when they are cheating themselves, or when imposing on others. Well, my course is a plain one at any rate, and if my efforts are fruitless, it shall not be owing to over-jealousy of my own character for wisdom. With this he rang the bell, and ordering Barnes into his private sitting-room, gave him some orders, with the result of which the reader may be made hereafter acquainted. We must now take up another adventure, which is also to be woven into the story of this remarkable day. Charles Hazelwood had not ventured to make a visit to Woodbourne during the absence of the colonel. Indeed, Mannering's whole behaviour had impressed upon him an opinion that this would be disagreeable, and such was the ascendancy which the successful soldier and accomplished gentleman had attained over the young man's conduct that in no respect would he have ventured to offend him. He saw, or thought he saw, in Colonel Mannering's general conduct an approbation of his attachment to Miss Bertram, but then he saw still more plainly the impropriety of any attempt at a private correspondence, of which his parents could not be supposed to approve, and he respected this barrier interposed betwixt them both on Mannering's account, and he was the liberal and zealous protector of Miss Bertram. No, said he to himself, I will not endanger the comfort of my Lucy's present retreat until I can offer her a home of her own. With this valorous resolution which he maintained, although his horse, from constant habit, turned his head down the avenue of Woodbourne, and although he himself passed the lodge twice a day, Charles Hazelwood withstood a strong inclination to ride down just to ask how the young ladies were, and whether he could be of any service to them during Colonel Mannering's absence. But on the second occasion he felt the temptation so severe that he resolved not to expose himself to it a third time, and contented himself with sending hopes and inquiries and so forth to Woodbourne, he resolved to make a visit long promised to a family at some distance, and to return in such time as to be one of the earliest among Mannering's visitors who should congratulate his safe arrival from his distant and hazardous expedition to Edinburgh. Accordingly he made out his visit, and having arranged matters so as to be informed within a few hours after Colonel Mannering reached home, he finally resolved to take leave of the friends with whom he had spent the intervening time, with the intention of dining at Woodbourne, where he was in a great measure domesticated, and this, for he thought much more deeply on the subject than was necessary, would, he flattered himself, appear a simple, natural, and easy mode of conducting himself. Fate, however, of which lovers make so many complaints, was in this case unfavourable to Charles Hazelwood. His horse's shoes required an alteration, in consequence of the fresh weather having decidedly commenced. The lady of the house where he was a visitor chose to indulge in her own room till a very late breakfast hour. His friend also insisted on showing him a litter of puppies, which his favourite pointer bitch had produced that morning. The colours had occasioned some doubts about the paternity, a weighty question of legitimacy, to the decision of which Hazelwood's opinion was called in as arbiter between his friend and his groom, and which inferred in its consequences which of the litter should be drowned and which saved. 
besides the laird himself delayed our young lover's departure for a considerable time endeavouring with long and superfluous rhetoric to insinuate to sir robert hazelwood through the medium of his son his own particular ideas respecting the line of a meditated turnpike road it is greatly to the shame of our young lover's apprehension that after the tenth reiterated account of the matter he could not see the advantage to be obtained by the proposed road passing over the langhurst windy knoll the good house park halesey croft and then crossing the river at simon's pool and so by the road to kippletringham and the less eligible line pointed out by the english surveyor which would go clear through the main enclosures at hazelwood and cut within a mile or nearly so of the house itself destroying the privacy and pleasure as his informer contended of the grounds in short the adviser whose actual interest was to have the bridge built as near as possible to a farm of his own failed in every effort to attract young hazelwood's attention until he mentioned by chance that the proposed line was favoured by that fellow glossin who pretended to take a lead in the county on a sudden young hazelwood became attentive and interested and having satisfied himself which was the line that glossin patronised assured his friend it should not be his fault if his father did not countenance any other instead of that but these various interruptions consumed the morning hazelwood got on horseback at least three hours later than he intended and cursing fine ladies pointers puppies and turned by acts of parliament saw himself detained beyond the time which he could with propriety intrude upon the family at woodbourne he had passed therefore the turn of the road which led to that mansion only edified by the distant appearance of the blue smoke curling against the pale sky of the winter evening when he thought he beheld the dominie taking a footpath from the house through the woods he called after him but in vain for that honest gentleman never the most susceptible of extraneous impressions had just that moment parted from meg Merrilies, and was too deeply wrapped up in pondering upon her vaticinations to make any answer to hazelwood's call he was therefore obliged to let him proceed without inquiry after the health of the young ladies or any other fishing question to which he might by good chance have had an answer returned wherein miss bertram's name might have been mentioned all cause for haste was now over and slackening the reins upon his horse's neck he permitted the animal to ascend at his own leisure the steep sandy track between the two high banks which rising to a considerable height commanded at length an extensive view of the neighbouring county hazelwood was however so far from eagerly looking forward to this prospect that it had the recommendation that great part of the land was his father's and must necessarily be his own that his head still turned backward towards the chimneys of woodbourne although at every step his horse made the difficulty of employing his eyes in that direction became greater from the reverie in which he was sunk he was suddenly roused by a voice too harsh to be called female yet too shrill for a man what's kept you on the road so long more neither folk do your work he looked up the spokesman was very tall had a voluminous handkerchief rolled around her head grizzled hair flowing in elf locks from beneath it a long red cloak and a staff in her hand headed with a sort of spear-point it was in short meg Merrilies. hazelwood had never seen this remarkable figure before he drew up his reins in astonishment at her appearance and made a full stop i think continued she that they had taken interest in the house of ellen gowan should sleep nay in this night three men hae been seeking ye and you are gone hame to sleep in your bed 
Do you think if the lad bends fast, the sister will do weel? Na, na. I don't understand you, good woman, said Hazelwood. If you speak of Miss, uh, I mean of the late Ellen Gowan family, tell me what I can do for them. Of the late Ellen Gowan family, she answered with great vehemence. Of the late Ellen Gowan family? And when was there ever, or will be there ever, a family of Ellen Gowan but bearing the gallant name of the bold Bertrams? But what do you mean, good woman? I am nae good woman, now the country kens I am bad enough, and both they and I may be sorry enough that I am nae better. But I can do what good woman canna, and durna do. I can do what would freeze the blood of them that is bred in bigot was for nothing but to bind bairns' heads and to hap them in the cradle. Hear me, the guard's drawn off at the custom house at Portum Ferry, and it's brought up to Hazelwood House by your father's orders, because he thinks his house is to be attacked this night by the smugglers. There's nobody means to touch his house. He has good blood and gentle blood, and I say little o' him for himself, but there's nobody thinks him worth meddling with. Send the horsemen back to their post, cannily and quietly. See an they win a hamark the night. Aye, will they? The guns will flash and the swords will glitter in the broad moon. Good God, what do you mean? said young Hazelwood. Your words and your manner would persuade me you are mad, and yet there is a strange combination in what you say. I am not mad, exclaimed the gypsy. I have been imprisoned for mad, scourged for mad, banished for mad, but mad I am not. Hear ye, Charles Hazelwood of Hazelwood, do you bear malice against him that wounded you? No, dame, God forbid, my arm is quite well, and I have always said that the shot was discharged by accident. I should be glad to tell the young man so himself. Then do what I bid ye, answered Meg Merrilies and you'll do him more good than ever he did you ill, for if he was left to his ill-wishers he would be a bloody corpse ere morn, or a banished man. But there's ain a boona. Do as I bid you, send back the soldiers to Port and Ferry. There's nae more fear o' Hazelwood House than there is a cruful fell. And then she vanished with her usual hilarity of pace. It would seem that the appearance of this female and the mixture of frenzy and enthusiasm in her manner seldom failed to produce the strongest impression upon those whom she addressed. Her words, though wild, were too plain and intelligible for actual madness, and yet too vehement and extravagant for sober-minded communication. She seemed acting under the influence of an imagination rather strongly excited than deranged and it is wonderful how palpably the difference in such cases is impressed upon the mind of the auditor. This may account for the intention with which her strange and mysterious hints were heard and acted on. It is certain, at least, that young Hazelwood was strongly impressed by her sudden appearance and imperative tone. He rode to Hazelwood at a brisk pace. It had been dark for some time before he reached the house, and on his arrival there he saw a confirmation of what the Sibyl had hinted. Thirty dragoon horses stood under a shed near the offices, with their bridles linked together. Three or four soldiers attended as a guard, while others stamped up and down with their long broadswords and heavy boots in front of the house. Hazelwood asked a non-commissioned officer from whence they came. From Port Ferry? Had they left any guard there? 
No, they'd been drawn off by order of Sir Robert Hazelwood for defence of his house against an attack which was threatened by smugglers. Charles Hazelwood instantly went in quest of his father, and having paid his respects to him upon his return, requested to know upon what account he had thought it necessary to send for a military escort. Sir Robert assured his son in reply that, from the information, intelligence and tidings which had been communicated to and laid before him, he had the deepest reason to believe, credit and be convinced that a riotous assault would that night be attempted and perpetrated against Hazelwood House by a set of smugglers, gypsies and other desperadoes. "'And what, my dear sir,' said his son, "'should direct the fury of such persons against ours rather than any other house in the country?' "'I should rather think, suppose, and be of opinion, sir,' answered Sir Robert, "'with deference to your wisdom and experience, "'that on these occasions and times the vengeance of such persons "'is directed or levelled against the most important and distinguished "'in point of rank, talent, birth, and situation, "'who have checked, interfered with, and discountenanced "'their unlawful and illegal and criminal actions or deeds.' Young Hazelwood, who knew his father's foible, answered that the cause of his surprise did not lie where Sir Robert apprehended, but that he only wondered they should think of attacking a house where there were so many servants, and where a signal to the neighbouring tenants could call in such strong assistance, and added that he doubted much whether the reputation of the family would not in some degree suffer from calling soldiers from their duty at the custom house to protect them as if they were not sufficiently strong to defend themselves upon any ordinary occasion. He even hinted that, in case their house's enemies should observe that this precaution had been taken unnecessarily, there would be no end of their sarcasms. Sir Robert Hazelwood was rather puzzled at this intimation, for, like most dull men, he heartily hated and feared ridicule. He gathered himself up and looked with a sort of pompous embarrassment as if he wished to be thought to despise the opinion of the public, which in reality he dreaded. "'I really should have thought,' he said, "'that the injury which had already been aimed at my house in your person, being the next heir and representative of the Hazelwood family, failing me, I should have thought and believed, I say, that this would have justified me sufficiently in the eyes of the most respectable and the greater part of the people,' for taking such precautions as are calculated to prevent and impede a repetition of outrage. Really, sir, said Charles, I must remind you of what I have often said before, that I am positive the discharge of the piece was accidental. Sir, it was not accidental, said his father angrily, but you will be wiser than your elders. Really, sir, replied Hazelwood, in what so intimately concerns myself? "'Sir, it does not concern you, but in a very secondary degree. "'That is, it does not concern you as a giddy young fellow "'who takes pleasure in contradicting his father, "'but it concerns the country, sir, and the country, sir, "'and the public, sir, and the kingdom of Scotland, "'in so far as the interest of the Hazelwood family, sir, "'is committed and interested and put in peril in, by, and through you, sir.' and the fellow is in safe custody, and Mr. Glossin thinks... Mr. Glossin, sir? Yes, sir, the gentleman who has purchased Ellen Gowan, you know who I mean, I suppose? Yes, sir, answered the young man, but I should hardly have expected to hear you quote such authority. Why, this fellow, 
all the world knows him to be a sordid mean tricking and i suspect him to be worse and you yourself my dear sir when did you call such a person a gentleman in your life before why charles i did not mean gentleman in the precise sense and meaning and restricted and proper use to which no doubt the phrase ought legitimately to be confined but i meant to use it relatively as marking something of that state to which he has elevated and raised himself as designing in short a decent and wealthy and estimable sort of person allow me to ask sir said charles if it was by this man's orders that the guard was drawn from port and ferry sir replied the baronet i do apprehend that mr glosson would not presume to give orders or even an opinion unless asked in a matter in which hazelwood house and the house of hazelwood meaning by the one this mansion house of my family and by the other typically metaphorically and parabolically the family itself i say then when the house of hazelwood or hazelwood house was so immediately concerned i presume however sir said the son this glossin approved of the proposal sir replied his father i thought it decent and right and proper to consult him as the nearest magistrate as soon as report of the intended outrage reached my ears and although he declined out of deference and respect as became our relative situations to concur in the order yet he did entirely approve of my arrangement at this moment a horse's feet were heard coming very fast up the avenue in a few minutes the door opened and mr macmorlan presented himself i am under great concern to intrude sir robert but give me leave mr macmorlan said sir robert with a gracious flourish of welcome this is no intrusion sir for your situation as sheriff substitute calling upon you to attend to the peace of the county and you doubtless feeling yourself particularly called upon to protect hazelwood house you have acknowledged and admitted an undeniable right sir to enter the house of the first gentleman in scotland uninvited always presuming you to be called there by the duty of your office it is indeed the duty of office said macmorlan who waited with impatience and opportunity to speak that makes me an intruder no intrusion reiterated the baronet gracefully waving his hand but permit me to say sir robert said the sheriff substitute i do not come with the purpose of remaining here but to recall these soldiers to port and ferry and to assure you that i will answer for the safety of your house to withdraw the guard from hazelwood house exclaimed the proprietor in mingled displeasure and surprise and you will be answerable for it and pray who are you sir that i should take your security and caution and pledge official or personal for the safety of hazelwood house i think sir and believe sir and am of the opinion sir that if any of these family pictures were deranged or destroyed or injured it would be difficult for me to make up the loss upon the guarantee which you so obligingly offer me in that case i shall be sorry for it sir answered the downright macmorlan but i presume i may escape the pain of feeling my conduct the cause of such irreparable loss as i can assure you there will be no attempt upon hazelwood house whatever and i have received information which induces me to suspect that the rumour was put afloat merely in order to occasion the removal of the soldiers from port and ferry and under this strong belief and conviction i must exert my authority as sheriff and chief magistrate of police to order the whole or the greater part of them back again 
I regret much that by my accidental absence a good deal of delay has already taken place, and we shall not now reach Port and Ferry until it is late. As Mr. McMorlan was the superior magistrate and expressed himself peremptory in the purpose of acting as such, the baronet, though highly offended, could only say, "'Very well, sir, it is very well. Nay, sir, take them all with you. I am far from desiring any to be left here, sir. We, sir, can protect ourselves, sir. But you will have the goodness to observe, sir, that you are acting upon your own proper risk, sir, and peril, sir, and responsibility, sir, if anything shall happen or befall to Hazelwood House, sir, or the inhabitants, sir, or to the furniture and paintings, sir. I am acting to the best of my judgment and information, Sir Robert, said McMorlan, and I must pray of you to believe so and to pardon me accordingly. I beg you to observe it is no time for ceremony. It is already very late. But Sir Robert, without deigning to listen to his apologies, immediately employed himself with much parade in arming and arraying his domestics. Charles Hazelwood longed to accompany the military which were about to depart for Port and Ferry, and which were now drawn up and mounted by direction and under the guidance of Mr. McMorlan as the civil magistrate. But it would have given just pain and offence to his father to have left him at a moment when he conceived himself in his mansion-house in danger. Young Hazelwood therefore gazed from a window with suppressed regret and displeasure until he heard the officer give the word of command. From the right to the front, by files, march! Lead in file to the right, wheel, trot! The whole party of soldiers then getting into a sharp and uniform pace were soon lost among the trees, and the noise of the hoofs died speedily away in the distance. End of Volume 2 Chapter 18